they say women end most marriages. They're correct, women do. So the weapon of the feminine that I've seen is manipulation and gossip. Well, I think what Red Pill does and what I see a lot in their community is power and control. I was a bit of a womanizer back in the day. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pink Pill. I am your host, Jamie Lynn, and I don't have anybody in the studio with me today. I actually have a guest who is co- joining me all the way from Australia. Please welcome Jaguar. Is it pure Jaguar or is it Jaguar or Jaguar Heart? Jaguar is cool. In Australia, we seem to shorten everything, so Jag's got it. You we know, put an O Y at the everything. It's like Jaggy, Jago, whatever. So whatever you come. It's so funny. I think uh, uh, I was telling you uh, that my boyfriend's Australian. And uh, when I went there, it literally is like speaking another language. I say I'm like bilingual now because, you know, it's uni, it's this, it's that. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? And you guys say the C word a lot, too. Yeah, there's a there's a (laughs) funny quote that it's like in Australia where you call your mates the C word. Yeah. Call a C word, mate. <laughs> you know, that's that's so true. I can't even tell you like how tough it was for me because I hang out with a lot of Australians here now. And it was such a culture shock for me to like understand. I was like, oh, like so basically if they're teasing you or making fun of you, you're your friends. If they're nice to you, watch out. I was like, that's kind of the rule of thumb that I tell people now. But I want um I saw you, uh, one of my girlfriends, Jamie Villamore, who you know, actually introduced your uh, material to me. And I thought that I really appreciated a lot of the work that you're doing. And I thought that uh, sharing some of your insights and, and your thoughts on things would really kind of benefit my view. So I wanted to have you on. So you are a teacher, a coach, and a therapist. Are you a licensed therapist? No, not here in us. There's well, not in a psychological aspect here because the models here are very strict. Mm-hmm. So the difference here, what you have to go through, you've got to go through a number of stages, and that was the plan originally to become a clinical psychologist, maybe move into psychiatry. But what I found is the model is so strict here that you can't go outside the model in order to get past the symptomatic approach or the diagnostic approach. Mm. So you're actually keeping people trapped in the very thing that they come to you to try to free you from. And I don't know, I didn't believe in that model. And what I said about that was if those models were that good, they wouldn't be around anymore because they would have healed an entire generation previous to us. Instead, we have a sicker generation than ever that is influenced by pharmaceutical drugs, um, endless amounts of therapy and problem focused, reactive focused um, attitudes. Whereas I'm like, let's just get to the root core and and dissolve it from there. So in Australia, you can call yourself a therapist. It's different to uh, America. So I call myself a therapist because I use a therapeutic model, but what I actually do with it is take people to the root to dissolve it at the root. So a little bit different to what over there. No, I think that that's, I think that's so important because I think a lot of, you know, psychopharmacology and a lot of treatment centers are problem focused and not solution focused, like you mentioned. And it's about treating the symptoms, right? Like a lot of like talk therapy that I've seen too, because I am a therapist out here. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, talk therapy that, that I see, it's, it's, it creates rumination, it creates yeah. rumination and fixation on something that isn't working, which, like you said, keeps a lot of people stuck and doesn't get them going forward. And actually, and people create a lot of resistance within themselves when you start to try to talk about solutions, which I find very totally. interesting. You know, it, it's it's people will give you every excuse in the they will hate their problem and then they will give you every excuse in the book why they can't change the problem. And they, they hate the problem. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted. So, sorry, yeah. Sorry, I think the connection kind of cut out there a little bit. Um, you know, in your bio, you say that you are, you know, traditionally masculine, and I, you know, there's so much. Um, there's so much. I don't. Are you familiar with kind of red pill and you know the manosphere yeah. and stuff like that? There's a lot of a. Uh, there's a lot of rhetoric going around in that community saying that men have lost their masculinity and that men are becoming more, you know, feminine. And I wanted to get kind of, I was hoping that you could kind of break down what traditional masculine is in your opinion. Yeah. So traditional masculine is like assertive, bold, independent. They lead, they know who they are. They're sure of themselves. They're not easily able to bend to someone else's will there's a level of strength. There's an aspect of stoicism, groundedness, and being empty and being still non-reactive. Whereas we see that in today's modern society, they want men to be talking about their feelings all the time. They want them to be more nurturing, more compassionate, which these aren't inherently bad traits, but if it swings without having a masculine grounding, then you're going to start to become unstable and needy. And that usually comes from a type of mother wound. And so what I see is traditional masculinity. I should try and find it. I've got my, I've got some of my notes here. I didn't plan to talk about this particular aspect. So I don't know if I'll be able to find it in That's real time. Okay. But I did a, um, I was teaching uh, one of my masculinity courses and I can't remember which group it was that was talking about it, but they had 10 traits of healthy masculinity. And in the 10 traits of healthy masculinity, what they actually were listing were stereotypical feminine traits. Now, why this is a why this is an issue, actually, I've got it right here. So I'm going to read it for your audience because I want to I want to create context here because this is super important. So traditional, so this was a Harvard study that they did over a long term of traditional masculine and feminine traits. So the typical stereotypical masculine traits are self-reliant, assertive, competitive, influencing, confident, analytical, brilliant, decisive, independent, individual, self-promotional, risk-taker, separate, leader, context-independent, and bold. This is Harvard, by the way. Mm -hmm. The typical feminine traits are nurturing, agreeable, collaborative, adjusting, modest, emotional, warm, restrained, interdependent, relational, other promotional, patient, connected, follower, context dependent, humble. So what I found when I was doing research on this is the common traits of healthy masculinity. Now, this was by one of the biggest men's groups in the world. And the number one trait was embracing and expressing a full range of emotions. Number two was validating the feelings of others. Number three, being willing to cry. Number four, being vulnerable, asking for help. Five, valuing the lives of girls and women, which I don't see why that's healthy masculinity. That should just be humanity. Um, treating all people equally. Anti-competition. Now, men need to be competitive. It's an absolute essential task to become masculine is through having competition. You become better through competition. Seven, never using control or violence. You know, that could be an argued statement in day-to-day, -day, but if a war comes, you're going to want masculine men that are capable of violence that have it under control. You know, I've done martial arts for 15 years, so I know what that's about. So it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. 
Number eight, never use gender-based attributes to bully or discriminate. The fact that this is on a healthy masculinity list is discriminatory in its proposition because it's saying that unhealthy masculinity is discriminatory by nature rather than just a discriminatory person. Uh, number nine, never use language to denigrate women and girls. And number 10, having an interest in women and girls outside of sex, having female friends and mentors express emotions freely to become nurturing and validate feelings. They're all typically more aligned with the feminine traits. There's nothing on there that says, you know, learn to be competitive in a healthy way or anything like that. So it's really interesting to see that a men's group typically adopt stereotypical feminine traits to say that that's healthy masculinity. Why do you think like some of the like I, I hear what you're saying as far as, you know, I think you have to look at conditions when you look at things like this, like um, you like if you have like control can be used in a, in a really negative way in relationships, but it can also be used in a positive way. Like emotional vulnerability can be both positive and negative for men. Like I hear I hear men uh, that are traditionally masculine, I guess you could say, or men in the red pill community say, no, women don't actually want you to be vulnerable. And that's, you know, that aligns with what you're saying as well. But what I what I put on is a caveat. Yes, women do want men to be emotionally in tune and emotionally available and vulnerable. But what you're looking for is emotional control. You're looking yeah. for emotional control. You don't want your guy to just lose it and become emotionally reactive, but you do need the emotional intimacy and connection. And I think what's happening is, is there isn't enough education around what healthy vulnerability looks like for men. Men, when they hear vulnerability, think that they're crying in a corner somewhere. And that's not what women are, I think, trying to communicate or say. So it, I think we're all kind of saying something similar, um, but there isn't a real picture of what that looks like for men. Yeah, I agree with that. And one of the ways that I teach the men that I work with is you have to also have an ability to say, this is what I'm going through. If it's a bit, I sort of put it into a spectrum. Like if it's a big thing that you're going through, absolutely bring your woman in. My father died last year. My godfather mm -hmm. died a couple of weeks after that. I had a good friend of 26 years die. I took that to her, but I'm not going to take to her going, you know, I had a tough day because I got cut off in traffic and my ankle sore because I was, you know, I worked out too hard and, you know, oh, it's raining and, you know, I'm going to sort of fold because things are getting a little bit difficult. What a woman wants from my experience and my understanding is to say, babe, I'm going through something difficult right now. I just need to let you know it has nothing to do with you, but I'm going to go and handle it. And if I need to speak to you after about it, I'm happy to share with you. And then you're sharing from a place of emotional intelligence, consideration. And an ability to be vulnerable to say, hey, this is going on, but I just need to let you know I'm not going to stonewall you and cut you off from that because I'm too afraid to approach that. So I think it's a way that we approach it to be considerate of the other person, to be considerate of what we need in that moment, because men really process things through movement. Boys need roughhousing. You see that most men that if they get out for like an hour to go for a run, even for a long walk or hit the bag or do some jujitsu, they're usually pretty good afterwards. It's only on the big things that I would say that you really want to be able to bring someone in and say, this is where I need to be really vulnerable and expose myself a little bit here of something that I'm struggling with for a long time, not the day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. And I, another thing too, about vulnerability that I just thought of, I don't think you need to be vulnerable with everybody. I don't think you need to completely expose yourself and open yourself up to everybody. And I think, again, you're kind of, hi, puppy, hello. 
Um, we had a dog in here earlier too. I about lost my mind, but anyway, um, I think like, you know, you, you don't need to be vulnerable with everybody. Again, it goes back to that kind of like who gets those pieces of you and, and who do you allow into that circle in that space, right? Those are things that are kind of being left out when they're like, oh, women don't want vulnerable men. That's not actually true. It's just we need a better context of what that actually looks like and how that actually plays out. So I agree with what you're saying. I like the way that you said that. I don't think I've heard it put that way before, you know, um, I just kind of I, I just kind of thought of something too that you had said that I want to touch on if you're not done with this one. You talked about like um, the weapon of the feminine and the gift of the feminine and you talked about the same thing for men and I had never heard it put that way before, but if you're not done if you're if there's something more you want to add to this, please, but I'd like to get to that as well. Yeah, sure. We can move on to that. Okay, cool. Right. Can you can you talk to me a little bit about the weapon in, of the feminine? Yeah, that's manipulation and gossip mm -hmm. for the most part. Sex as well. Mm -hmm. Sex I, as well. So these are the weapons, but they can be the gifts as well when transmuted into a healthy space. So I'll get into the to the masculine side of it, but there's I kind of look at things from a power versus force attribute in the world of physics. So force is going to be life destroying and life decaying it's going to need constant energy to feed itself so when we're trying to force things on people it starts to slip into an unhealthy aspect so manipulation gossip the good girl archetype is going to be these are kind of weapons to for lack of a better term right now lure men in right like the the good girl is an archetype to hide a bad girl they say that in the red pill and that's largely true i've seen that a lot for the men, it's the bad boy because every woman, well, maybe not every woman, but for illustrative purposes, every woman wants a bad boy that's become a good man. And every man wants a bad, a good girl that's going to become bad for them, right? It's just the inverted opposites to it. So the weapon of the feminine that I've seen is manipulation and gossip and they sexualize themselves, but intuition is their gift. You get an intuitive woman that's feminine, that's embodied in her space man, there's not much more intoxicating than, than a really feminine woman. Yeah. They've learned to weaponize sexuality through social constructs, though. The weapon of the masculine is aggression and violence, but the gift of the masculine is protection and security. And so the protection and security is around being grounded and being gentle. I posted this the other day, gentle, yes, but weak, no. And this oh, is really Oh, I like important. that. I think yeah. that's a beautiful way to say that. Yeah, to be gentle, you know, gentle, yes, but weak, no. Be capable, but don't use that against people that, I don't like the term that are weaker than you, but that are less capable of holding themselves in that energy. So aggression and violence where necessary to protect, outside of that, leave it, you know, wrestle with your mates, do jujitsu, box, whatever it is. And so these are the weapons because you see manipulation and gossip is the way that women go against each other. That's what they use against each other. If oh, sex absolutely. isn't a weapon for them, sex is the weapon against the masculine, whereas manipulation and gossip is the feminine weapon against each other. Mm -hmm. And so they'll be super nice to each other's faces and then behind their back, the knives are out. Oh, whereas 100%. men, <laughs> it's always like the threat of violence is always there. So we're more willing to sort things out in a logical way because we don't really want to throw down. We want to avoid that. Men don't like intensity. We don't. We what like do you to be empty. What do you mean you don't like intensity? 
intensity internally for me is something I don't like. I like to be empty. So it's like the mountain, right? I like to be still. I like to be empty of thoughts, empty of feeling and just grounded and present in the moment. That's where I like to be. So when I'm feeling like there's intensity coming up, me going and doing an intense activity dissipates that, discharges that energy. And that's how I like to feel. Whereas the woman typically wants to be full, pleasure-driven, feeling, all of that. They run by feelings. They're emotional creatures, which is why it's, you know, there's the whole men are from Mars, women are from Venus. It's like one of the worst things you can do to a woman is when she's saying, I'm upset, going, don't worry about it, babe. It'll be okay. It's like you're just dismissing yeah, her. Or calm down. So you're not listening to her. Or yeah, calm, calm down. down. <laughs> it's a big one. Yeah. Yeah. It's big. <laughs> we don't so like those that are, one. <laughs> yeah. It's there's a good, there's a funny meme that it said no one in the history of the world has calmed down when they've been told to calm down. <laughs> I mean, like I it's so true though. I don't know any time at any point in time that works. It just feels like somebody's like very dismissive, right? Like I think I think a big thing for women is they want well, women and men. I think if you can make somebody feel seen and heard, it doesn't mean that you need to agree with them, but if you can make them feel seen and heard, that right there is very validated validating for somebody and very grounding. And that right there reduces anxiety like tremendously just letting somebody know I see you it's not necessarily about fixing it or solving it it's just being with them while they're there and that's really what women want is Abs just for you to be there not to fix her absolutely because the, the the proclivity to fix the underlying subconscious intention is that there's something there's wrong something with wrong with you problem. exactly yeah. yeah it's like there's it, there's a problematic you know like I think women are getting a lot of criticism for being such emotional creatures though in the red pill community they're you know now women also need to have emotional control let me preface this with that there are a lot of women that are incredibly reactive and I think that gives their emotional response a, re a really bad rap but um I think that it's not a bad it's not it's not a bad thing to be so emotional and to have emotions and to be in touch with that and and process that and yet when women are being reactive or emotional or upset or crying they are labeled as crazy or overreactive and i think that that's a really destructive message to send to women that are like having feelings and men are also sent that message to men that have feelings yeah yeah i agree with that and the thing is that that's only said by people that don't understand emotions. Yeah. They don't have the emotional intelligence or the capacity to withstand that. So it's easier to label it as crazy. Yeah. I feel like it's a way to just kind of say, I don't know how to make sense of this. I don't want to deal with this. Let me just say you're crazy. And then it's just like it absolves them of any responsibility. It absolves them of any kind of work that they might need to do or comfort that they might need to provide. Um, it's passive. It is, it is really passive. Are you a fan of the red pill community or no? Like, I, I feel like, I feel like, like when it comes to red pill, I feel like I can get on board with some of what they're saying, but then they just take it and they go far left with some stuff. And I'm just like, okay, you had me for a little bit, but now you just went off on the deep end, you know, like, yeah. like there are women, right. That will use sex, that will use them for their money. Like they're not wrong about that. When they talk about women that are, that are doing that or doing like lunch dates and stuff like that, they've got no interest in them and they're just using them for their cash. But I'm like, when they talk about women being hypergamous too, which is, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but basically I know it very well. Okay, great. Um, when they talk about, you tell me your thoughts on this. Like I have my own theory about women being hypergamous and I'm like, I don't think that women are actually hypergamous. I think that if she's not into you, she is a hundred percent. 
Yeah, yeah. she's she's going to be dating her equal or up because she's not into you. But when you throw love in the mix, I really feel like women are really ready to be that helpmate for a man. They're willing to go through the tough times with him. They're not so like there's an attachment there and a love there that is like that woman doesn't want to share that, you know, she wants to build and grow with somebody that that's comforting for a woman that feels secure for a woman to a woman that's actually in love with you. So I think their theory on hypergamy is kind of whack. Yeah. I mean, I agree. So the red pill thing, there's some truths in it, but I look at it, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you want to secure the best possible mate for yourself? Like, why wouldn't you? We just do it in different ways. Women, it's more security and men, it's more biology, right? So fertility and sex, there's an aspect to it. But the one thing I just don't agree about all of it is that no one really talks about, which I've spoken about for a while, is that they only talk about biology. They don't take morality at all into it. And morality is the thing that will trump biology a lot of the time when someone becomes more intelligent and more conscious. You might have urges, but it doesn't mean you act on it. Mm -hmm. That's morality. Morality is inbuilt into us. And it's a coding that's there that separates us through the ability to be self-referential, which separates us from animals. They're just basically saying we're animals and that's it. You know, if the man wants to secure the highest possible thing, he's hypergamous too. That's why you see like old, disgusting men with beautiful (laughs) young women. That's just hypergamy in the other way. I, I am so happy that you said that because I nailed it, like absolutely nailed it. They're, they're, they're mad at women for being hypergamous. And like you said, they're doing the exact same thing. Like, But they're just measuring it differently. Like hypergamy for a woman might be more money-based, whereas hypergamy for a man might be more youth-based, more like I'm sexually aroused-based, right? Both people yeah. are doing the same thing. And if both people are doing the same thing, then why, why are you mad at one gender and not the other? Like it doesn't make any sense. It sounds ex- incredibly hypocritical to me. Um, it is. And it reinforces victim mentality for the red pill guys because yes. – they they don't want to take self-responsibility. So there's being responsible and then there's self-responsibility. Being responsible is like, well, I'm responsible for my own life and divorce laws and all that bullshit they carry on about. Being self-responsible is that I'm actually colluding and collaborating and creating my own experience, which is the way that I look at this with women is to avoid what? My money being taken or being heartbroken. That's like, if you're good at making money, who gives a shit? And then you're scared of your feelings. Like these are the men that are like saying that they're the alphas. You're like, I look at it and I'm just like, wow, dude, like that's, that's your big fears, losing some cash and getting your little heart broken. I mean, we can talk about heartbreak because you can never break your heart. You can only break the walls down around your heart anyway. So they're terrified. They're like boys. Oh, they, they are like when I, when I look at them and I watch these podcasts, I see little children. Like that's actually what I physically see. I can see them. They're younger themselves with their, like just throwing a temper tantrum, an adult temper tantrum being like, you didn't like me when I was young. So F you like, that's the air that it feels. And then, and then what's really gross that they do is they'll gaslight the audience or they'll gaslight the women that are there. And they're like, uh, they're like, I'm not, um, do you know what misogyny is, is what I hear them say a lot. It's the hatred of women. And they're like, mm. we don't hate women. And and you, and I'm like, that's gaslighting. Like everything that you're doing isn't in support of any woman here. You are targeting the audience that you or the, the guests on your show, number one. Your videos have bimbo everywhere. You're kicking people off the show. I don't see any love in, in how you're relaying information. You're yelling and screaming like... I, that doesn't if it's not hate it doesn't scream love 
Yeah. You know, yeah, which I think that's an important point. And I think this is where we started speaking when I posted a reel about saying, stop listening to that garbage because yes. they deliberately set it up. They bring in only fans models that are they're super young in their early twenties, 1920s. So their life experience and world experience from an emotional maturity aspect that had, they haven't really gone through that. And they're just buying into whatever social construct is promoting that kind of behavior. So it's like they set it up. They get really intelligent guys in there to make the women look stupid. I know. It's not that difficult. It's pretty so same with fresh and fit and well, I don't guys. like it's these guys aren't even that difficult to challenge. It's just that people don't really know what they're up against and they don't understand the manipulation behind what they're doing or how to call it out. And and then yeah. You know, they have, you know, a group of people that are doing sound effects over them that are bolstering themselves up. They're kicking people off when things get too hot for them. You know, there's a and there's a lot of control. I've had girls on this show that have been on that show. There's a lot of control and they've been here in the studio as well. And there's a lot of control that they do in the environment before filming even starts. The girls have rules. The boys don't, you know. Yeah. So it's really yeah. gross. But I, I going back to what you said about morality, I love that point because a lot of what the red pill does is they base a lot of their information off of evolutionary psychology, which there is some truth in evolutionary psychology. But are we just are we just these like animal beings or are we more than that? Right. We have evolved. We are we are spirit, too. I'm not sure if you're a very spiritual person, but I believe that we are spirit, too. And we have we, we have a higher calling and a higher purpose, things like intuition, self-control, the ability to manage our emotions, the ability to control our behavior. We're not just walking around reacting to the world around us. If that was the case, we'd all be victims. But yet they seem powerless when it comes to controlling their sexual urges. And they're like, well, you know, it's just in my biology. So I've got to fuck a lot of bitches. You know, it's my biology. And, and then they're like, you know, and then there's no there's no account for how they could have contributed to that, how they need to show up to the relationship. And so I, I feel like it's giving, I don't feel like that's a real masculine quality. What I feel like is that's a cop out and that's, that's a way to say, I don't need to actually control this. I don't need to own this. What are your kind of thoughts on that? I agree with it. And, you know, I used to be similar to that not in the um the theory behind it but you know i was a bit of a womanizer back in the day um i was very honest about it but i bought into all of that stuff you know i was in the investment industry and just lived that life and then as i got out of that and got into this work i saw how unhealthy that actually was and that i couldn't control my lust and so i became pleasure driven so essentially it would, that's effeminate behavior they're all very effeminate in my opinion i saw one a podcast with rich cooper the other day with sovereign bra and mike pantile and he just said just enjoy the decline like is there anything more passive than that to just enjoy the decline of society instead of stepping up and saying no i'm not going to let this happen and be a man about it that's all we're here for mm -hmm. so I think that a man needs to get his lust under control because otherwise he's just pleasure driven and he's, you know, that's that make money, fuck bitches kind of attitude. And it's like, well, then you're just really like an animal. Well, right. But also like, what's the end game here? Like, I kind of, I want to look at these things like long term, like, what are you actually trying to gain? Like most men are trying to connect that to some sort of fulfillment or happiness right like that like that would be the emotional kind of reward i guess or pride or you know these kinds of feelings they're this void that they're trying to fulfill but yeah. yet that that in and of itself lasts about you know it, it's it's gone just it's gone as quickly as you get it
and there's no longevity, but, nothing like there's always like a dependency. So it's like you're you're always going to need more, 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 more. And that never, ever fills up their cup. Like they could have the most beautiful girl. You could have a girl that that has like the most money. And but we know that these things don't actually generate happiness. We know that these things don't actually like um, they can create temporary moments of pleasure they can make life easier they can give you small increments of reward but it's fleeting so it's like yeah. by telling by coaching men to get girls to to do these tactics like nagging them so that they you know seek seek your approval what is the end game here is it just so you can have sex or are you actually trying to teach them how to form and have a loving connection or a healthy relationship that's not something i ever hear them say it's sex related not not are we gonna are we looking at having a healthy relationship are we looking at at helping people not hurting people yeah and that's a great point because what it actually is it's trying to fill the void inside because what they've actually got is a negative emotional attachment which has now become some sort of addiction so there's a couple of different negative emotional attachments one of them is deprivation there's denial there's control there's criticism there's being unlovable there's abandonment there's rejection there's humiliation there's betrayal and victimization these are the 10 addictions that i've seen that we play out which is from three stages in childhood the first is the first 18 months where we get deprived of something usually it's being breastfed which is the first nature of deprivation and so if we're feeling deprived we don't know what it's like to get our needs met from women so we're constantly trying to fill it up because there's a void inside of us and that's going to try to be achieved through filling it up with some type of junk behavior which only then reinforces the fact that i'm not lovable or i should be abandoned or you know i was deprived as a child so that's my actual language of love and that i can never fulfill on that because it's always going to be egoic based and you can't overcome something because the ego is essentially a lie and it's reinforcing a negative self-image, which has only been reinforced through the external. When you say like the ego is a lie, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So the ego is going to be formed in like a negative structure. So it's the operating software of the psyche and it's always going to be based on I'm not enough or I'm not loved or I'm not wanted or I'm powerless. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. It's a complete lie. It's all a fabrication. We like, like, I love that you said that because none of us were born believing that none of us no, were born. None of us ever bought into that when we were, when we were young or when we were babies, like there were these moments in our life where somehow, some way we started to believe a lie. Right. And the battle yeah. is kind of uncovering that and then going back to a place of healing. Um, I think. You know, I think it's really sad what I see happening with the gender roles, and that's why I really wanted to kind of create this platform because I think I I think that there there's such a negativity and almost like a battle between the genders that I see just on social media where it's like men versus women, and it's like we weren't designed to be against each other; we were designed to complement each other, and it just seems like it's it's created this like let me rag on the other and I want I want to create conversations around how we can have healthy connections with each other and how we can heal how women can step into their feminine and how men can step into their masculine and really heal those wounded parts of ourselves one thing about feminine energy though I did like kind of an episode on feminine energy and I think femininity is pretty fierce actually that's not something that I hear people talk about like I don't think being feminine means you're a wallflower 
I don't think that it's that you just sit there and you're just and it doesn't mean that you have this like fight fierce aspect to you. I think feminine women also are incredibly wise and discerning. And that's not something that I hear in the red pill community either. They tend to describe feminine women as docile creatures there to kind of take direction and look pretty. But real feminine women are wise and they can speak and they have voice and they have influence. Um, and they have their own power and their own strength. And so I like I think it's important to like connect strength with femininity as well, but it presents different than masculine strength. Like obviously our physical strengths are incredibly different there. Absolutely. And it's a good point because the red pill is all around ruling by fear, which is tyranny. Yes. Yeah. Whereas real masculine leads by inspiration. So there's a big difference, ruling by fear or leading by inspiration. You want to lead by inspiration. That means your words and your actions match most of the time, and you usually get it right. So you've got a history of good decision-making that has been for the good of all, not just putting yourself first through some type of self-sacrifice. A natural woman is going to be smart enough, a natural woman, a feminine woman is going to be smart enough to identify that and go, He's got this handled. I don't need to compete with him. The women that want to compete with men are usually the ones that are trying to be men, whereas a real feminine woman will want to compliment him as he compliments her. It's not just about her becoming his compliment. He does whatever he wants. It's a complementary relationship that needs to be developed. And the red pill doesn't want that. They just want to act like degenerate teenagers that can't control themselves. Well, I think what Red Pill does and what I see a lot in their community is power and control dynamics. And that is is a huge indicator of abuse in a relationship. Um, like if you ruling have, by fear. Absolutely. Just like you said, ruling by fear. Like if there is fear, power and control dynamics, you're 900% more likely to be in an abusive relationship. Um, or become victimized by it, like 900%. Like, that's incredible. And they want to talk about gender roles all day long, right? But they don't talk about this shit. They don't talk about mm. this stuff, the abuse in relationship, the abuse of power in relationships. And that goes both ways. I'm not just talking about guys doing it to girls. I'm talking girls can do it to men as well. But they, they like, that's a huge thing. And yet they don't talk about that. They want to talk about make me a sandwich. Like, pfft. Like this is like this is like kid play to me. Like they're not here to really actually work on anything. What they're here is to push an agenda of I want this my way. I'm not here to like they're they are like I like the word that you use passive. I didn't ever mm. see it that way before you said that, but it it is passive. It's a real passive way to do relationships. And I tell women this all the time with guys like that. I was like, you need to actually be able to have the wisdom to discern if they're an actual leader. You don't yeah. just follow somebody because they're saying something like, do they ha do they have good judgment? Do they make good decisions? Are they kind and are they loving to you? Yeah. You know, like you're not just going to default to somebody that's going to rule with an iron fist. Like what? who would do that? That That's not a wise move for a woman to make. That's tyranny. Yeah, it is. And it's it's an interesting point with that because that's idolatry mm. as well. You know, when we fall into worship and idolatry, we have that kind of like in these, you know, in more of the narcissistic spectrum where there's this self-aggrandizement, which a lot of people in that red pill community are like that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of strong narcissistic traits and psychopathic traits that I see in that. Yes. Where it's demanding to be worshipped without really any qualification to say why you should be, you know, and they think that women should just worship men and follow men just because you're a man. 
And it's like, I wouldn't follow any of those guys. None of them, you know, oh especially, God, no. especially what I saw recently with Rich Cooper saying, oh, just enjoy the decline. I'm like, I don't want that motherfucker next to me. If shit's going down, just enjoy the decline. Are you serious? Mm-mm. Like, I, I couldn't believe that. I, I had a bit of respect for him before that. And some of the stuff that he's, he said is, is pretty accurate, but I, I just, I really couldn't believe that. I don't really watch his stuff at all anymore. I watched a little bit of it in the past, but these are your leaders, you like, know, like it's a bit of a joke, man. It is a joke. Like, I don't know anybody that would like, I don't know any, I don't know any real respectable woman that actually takes them seriously either. And that's what their audience doesn't know. There's a mm. whole audience out there of women that look at these guys like they're a joke. They are yeah. a joke. They wouldn't step foot on that podcast because they wouldn't subject themselves to such fuckery, you know, pardon my French, but they, yeah. they would, they wouldn't do it, you know? And these guys only have a small window into a, 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 a targeted group of females per se and, and see how they respond. And there's a whole world out there of good women really good women that love their partners they're not like they're not leveling up so to speak they're not trading out their partners they're building communities and homes and they're loyal and they're all these things and that is that is more often the case than what what they're preaching these men their biggest vulnerability is this they're speaking through a lens of pain that's their biggest vulnerability and they yeah. don't have the foresight or the introspection to see their own projection. They yeah. can't see how they're, it's like, oh, well, this woman hurt me. All women are like this. Oh, well, yeah. you're like this. I'm going to pick a pull for one. You do this, you do this, you do this. All women do this. It, like they don't have enough life experience. They don't have enough knowledge. They'll listen to a few. Oh, that's another thing that they do. These polls that they take, these studies that they do, right? A lot of where they're getting that information from is a tender report. It's from tender. And Mm. that right there is very easily misinterpreted because what women report, what men and women report versus what they actually entertain, very different, very different. You know? Are you talking about the fact that I think 90% of women want the 10% of men or whatever that's yes, statistic? Yes, yeah. Is? Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. So like they'll, you know, I, I guess I'm just trying to kind of paint a picture for how they skew results and how they try to generalize population. So they'll say, well, women want tall guys. Let's just say that that's a general thing. Well, most women will report that they want a tall guy. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that, but most women don't actually entertain a tall man. You know why? Because things like love, attraction, chemistry, connection, alignment, goals come into the picture. That morality aspect like you're talking about come into the picture and change the game. So what they report versus what they actually entertain are two different things, you know, and and men that are in love do the same thing. A man like me being a therapist, you know, I had one man. He was like, I never want to date a woman with kids. Now he's married to a woman with kids. You know, it wasn't what he would have reported. It wasn't what he saw for himself, but he's incredibly happy and wasn't what he would have picked for himself, but it's what happened and what played out in his life, you know, and, and, you know, though that we're missing that translation, that's what gets lost in translation is how things actually play out in the morality, like you were speaking of earlier, how that influences what people actually entertain versus what they report. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, it's such an, there's so many factors taken that mm-hmm. aren't taken into account. You know, I mean, it's like, 
I mean, I always say that, you know, if I don't use dating apps, I've never used them. I never would use them. I just believe in like the right person's going to come along at the right time. And I always say you learn hard lessons in the school of kindergarten. So <laughs> kindergarten is like kindergarten because it's like a bunch of kids running around trying to get attention. And what it's creating is this like next, next, next model, which is mm -hmm. promoted by the red pill and the counter to that now, which I'm seeing is trad culture for women. You know, so the promiscuous, alluring, very sexy woman that was promoting herself, Red Pills now said, oh, we want trad culture, virgin style things, whatever they say. So now what we're doing is rather than saying really deep behavioral change through deep therapy and deep work on themselves, they're just going, you know what, I'm going to get my sundress, bake some bread and then lure in the same men that I could now can't get because over-sexualization isn't working. So that was a weaponization of sex. So now what am I going to do? I'm going to go preach chastity and then chastity and being a Puritan is now the way I weaponize sex. Mm -hmm. So it's not providing any solutions whatsoever. It's just creating more division and more inability to be able to approach these issues with a real world application and say, well, what's actually right for me? Who, what sort of person do I want to be? What do I need to work through? And how do I need to get through it instead of let's just be Epicurean in like the fall of Rome and just have orgies and sleep with everyone and be obsessed with gender wars and just break the world into what it's already been broken into before, which is degeneracy. Mm -hmm. I like I, I the the spectrum that you created with the the chastity versus the promiscuity that that spectrum is it's it's really interesting, right? Like to kind of go from one way of what I, I don't think people would necessarily think of weaponizing sex in, in a way of withholding a lot of time or like um, using kind of religion in a way too to kind of punish punish their partner i've seen a lot of women do that in relationships where um the withholding of sex is a form of punishment right and they're in relationships and and that's yeah. incredibly damaging to the relationship um what do you think like what do you think the balance is for like have you ever worked with anybody that has done that and like, have you ever kind of tried to counsel them through that? That's switched into trad culture. Mm -hmm. I haven't, no, I've seen it happen with women that I've worked with um, and women that I've known. And I'm just like, I see it switch so quickly from one side to the other. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Chastity, promiscuity, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. There's yeah. women that have been in the culture for 10, 15 years. This yeah. isn't directed at them. Um, this is more like, okay, this is the new flavor of the month. And if someone's willing to switch that quickly, likely they're going to switch very quickly later on into whatever's the next flavor. Um, it's a very subconscious tactic. I find I don't think a lot of women would do it intentionally, but if the strategy is not working, you need to adapt. And, and that's where some of that unconscious feminine manipulation may come into play. And I've seen women that I've worked with that like I could very easily see as having borderline or strong narcissistic traits switching into that space. So I just kind of like to bring awareness to it. I don't think that it's every woman switching over. There are genuine people that do it, that have a coming to Jesus moment. You know, I'm just saying to people to just to be wary of it for the moment, especially if yeah. they've been, you know, sex workers or OnlyFans girls that are now doing that. And then especially if they're promoting it. And I th think they were celebrate for you know a couple of years before that to kind of prove that then i'd say that you know i'm not against it but i'm i'm live and let it live do what you need to do live your life if 
that's the way you want to live. I'm not any person to say that you can or can't live a certain way. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that part there. I know that's kind of, it's kind of a loaded one, but I do see that happen. Um, I do see that happen in the porn industry. That's, that's usually where I see that switch, um, mm -hmm. where, um, there's, there's like a lifestyle that they left for, for a long time. And then usually there is something radical that happens in their life where they are aging out or this no longer serves them. And then they switch directions. Now I'm not saying that's everybody, but I'm saying I'm using that as one example of how I've seen it weaponized. Um, yeah. In in the other direction, um, I'm all for people changing, you know, directions and 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 doing what works for them, but just giving you an example of how it can play out. Um, yeah, one of the things that that is also for sorry, uh, mm -hmm. Jamie, just no. quickly is watch behavior. It's really simple. Just watch the behavior of someone. If someone goes to Christianity or trad culture, whatever it is that they that's their flavor. If their behavior doesn't change, then it's just new clothes. If their behavior genuinely changes over a long demonstrated period of time, they've probably changed. That's a really good, that's a really good point to kind of tell the difference because anybody can act right for a little bit, right? And I think you want to see it across multiple settings and in multiple areas of their life. If there's a real like kind of spiritual change, right? It's not going to be just be in that area. It will be in how they treat people. It will be in how they treat you. It will be in how they treat themselves. Um, you will see it across the board. It won't just be in one selective area. So it'll be consistent. You'll see a pattern of behavior, like you said. So that's a really, Absolutely. really good distinction to make. Um, you said something, um, you know, I kind of wanted to ask you this because you're a guy. I heard somebody it, like came into my DMs one time. I've got a lot of keyboard warriors on there. And this one guy had said, I was talking about monogamy. And, um, and you know, red pill is like, it's not, it's not realistic for men to be monogamous. Like you shouldn't expect it from men, especially not the top 1%. And I wanted to ask you what you think about that. Again, it's morality. It's morality. Like if you're going to do something that's going to hurt someone else, why would you want to do that? If you love someone to satisfy some biological need that you don't have control over? Is that it? I mean, it's, it's not hard to sleep with a lot of women. It's it's relatively easy. If I think it's hard for them. <laughs> probably for them, yeah. Um, yeah I probably, that's why they have yeah, a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like, what, how do you define a top 1% man? You know, based on that female delusion calculator, I'm like 0.02% oh, something God. like that. Which, again, it doesn't take into account morality. Like, you yeah. know they actually gone through and worked on themselves that they have a spiritual foundation do they you know have they worked through their childhood trauma have they got their emotions in check like what's actually the level of consciousness that these men display yes. it's not hard to make half a million bucks a year go to the gym eat right train martial arts and be able to beat someone up that's pretty easy if that makes me one <laughs> percent that's a pretty fucking low point of entry for me that's Ooh. not very difficult oh i love that you said that that it's so true though like it like when you frame it like that, it makes me look at it so differently because they look at these things like they're these huge successes and these huge, huge achievements. And you're looking at it like that's your baseline. Exactly. Like that's your it's bare minimum. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's easy to get expensive cars and expensive watches. I've got that. It doesn't mean well, a lot of these a lot of these guys, too, don't actually have these things acquired. What they have is a false front. We, we call them like thirty thousand dollar millionaires. Right. Where they're like they might have a nice car, but they're in like, you know, they're in fifty thousand dollars worth of debt. 
you know, all, because of the image that they want to, you know, project and display. They're peacocking, you know. And, and like, like some of those tactics that the red pill teaches can work, right? But it won't secure you an actual partner. And here's the other thing, too, that's really important to point out. When they're teaching men to get all these gains and get all these money so they can get girls, expect to attract a gold digger. That's what you're going to get. Like, and then don't complain when she uses you for her money, for your money, and then wants to be hypergamous. Like, don't complain because you set the tone for that. You said, this is what I'm showing you. Like, you, like, like there, there's really kind of a mixed message in red pill. Like, is it to get sex or is it to get love? Because if it's to get love, they're off. They're like, so misdirected, you know? Yeah. And I, it's the same. It's like that narrative. It's what it's doing is. It's breaking apart like traditional things. I do believe marriage. One thing they don't talk about is they go marriage has a 50% failure rate, which means by virtue of that, it's got a 50% success rate as well. Mm -hmm. So they're not framing it in that way that, you know, you have a 50% chance of success just by being in it. If you look at like the destructive way that marriages break down, if you have a look at it, most people stop making an effort after five to seven years. You know, so it's like, how much do you care about the person? How much are you invested into it? Do you look at your investments and actually take it from a place of going, I'm going to go all in on this and really try to make it work. Most of those people give up, you know, I, and it's, sorry, yeah, go on, Jamie. You know, that was a really, like, I like that you brought up that example because uh, that's another one that they use where the stats are actually incorrect or they're, what they're doing is they're leaving out the context of that. So me being a marriage and family therapist, I know a lot more about this than they're leading on. Mm -hmm. they're not this is what i say when they're half true they're true that's a true stat that they say but the reason why is actually this it's not enough help in the home that's the number one reason mar women they say women end most marriages they're correct women do but do you want to know why because one they have more choice now than they've ever had before they're they're not punished as much as they were before so that that influences and skyrockets their ability to choose differently also, it's just not enough help in the home. Women are leaving marriages because they're not getting help in the home. That's the number one reason they report. And yet that goes against what they're teaching They're teaching their audience is, you know, they're there to serve you. They're there to cater to you. You're the king. If you have mm. that mentality, expect to get divorced. It's not, and also this, it's not that women are unwilling to help in the home. Women aren't necessarily unwilling to help or or cater to their partners. What they don't want to be what they don't want to feel like is your servant. That's mm -hmm. the difference. They're not here to to like they're looking for a partnership. And that partnership, uh, it's not necessarily equality because we're all different. But what it what it does create is balance. And what it what it does what it has to have as a foundational piece is love. And when there's power and control, I don't know how I don't know where love fits into that. And so you, when you when you leave out dynamics like love, your divorce rate's probably going to go up. When you throw mm. in aspects like power and control, your divorce rate's probably going to go up. Also, there's this end of it too. Most people are picking the wrong person in relationships. Yeah. Like, I'm divorced, pick the wrong person. And I knew I shouldn't have gotten married to him. Knew it, did it anyway, right? We all make decisions. Um, at different places in our life that aren't the wisest thing for us to do. And 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 that factors in as well. Like when they share a stat like that, they're operating under the assumption that this was good and healthy to begin with. Mm. We don't know if that relationship was good or healthy to begin with at all. So we like context and you bringing that up, that context is really important when we evaluate stats like that.
And that's why I said, you know, the whole high value thing yeah. and them not addressing like, is this guy worked through what he went through when his dad used to beat the shit out of him when he was four years old or they got divorced and he doesn't know his mom or whatever it is. They're not taking that into account. It's just, are you obese? No. <laughs> Do you make a certain amount of money? Have you been married? No. Like, how can you possibly derive a statistic of a high value male based on such a low point of entry? That should be just be standard. It's like going to a relationship and expecting some like an amazing high education is the honest. I know. Like that should just be standard. You it know, should just be standard. So love and respect are two really important attributes. Men want respect more than love. Women want love. They should be respected anyway, but more than respect. Love's more important to a woman than just respect, and respect is more important than love to a man. It is. It's just how we read it, and that doesn't mean that that, like you said, these these aren't like um, that. Doesn't mean love doesn't require respect as well for women, but it does. It sure. is. It is a priority for women. Like, it's just like the love languages, right? We read things very differently, and how how we receive love is often how we give it, right? Men 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 have to have respect that's a fundamental need that men have and wise women know that wise women know yeah. that um and wise men know that women need love and emotional support and emotional stability and it's okay that we're so different like that it's okay we don't need to be fighting each other over it um, and we don't need to be knocking each other down for it but what we do need to be having a conversation about is where are the conditions the conditions have to be healthy and in order to have these traits thrive, like I can't ask a woman to be vulnerable if she's in a power and control relationship. Like that's a good way for her to die, you know? Yeah. Like like these things are just like the context is important. The story is important. What these relationship dynamics look like, it's important. You know, a lot of these men, unhealed, wounded, look like scared little babies to me. Um, and there's nothing masculine about it. And I think miss people... I always say that I think people misinterpret masculinity for aggression, but you kind of put a little caveat on that for me when you talked about um, like the the weapon of the masculine. Like, and I was like, okay, like that's a different way for me to kind of look at that too, you know, because it is, I guess, masculine, but it's weaponizing it. Yeah, totally. And it's important to delineate that between what an asset is and when someone's weaponizing it. So it's, you know, I've done Brazilian jiu-jitsu for eight or nine years and boxed for years and all that. So I can handle myself. It's all good. And I still train to this day, but it's like, I'm not going to walk down the street and put someone in a guillotine choke because I can, or I've had a bad day <laughs> or someone beeps at me and I get out of the car and try to have a go at them. It's like, no, I've learned that lesson a long time ago. And so it's, I've got all that under control. So it's a weapon I can use, but there's a difference between a weapon and a tool. When you transcend the idea of having it out of control, you be, it becomes a tool. When you don't have it under control, then it becomes a weapon. I love that. That was really good. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit because I know we don't have a ton of time left and I'm trying to get as much out of you as I can. I saw a lot of your sure. videos and I thought you are very knowledgeable. Um, you, you, you mentioned heartbreak. And I kind of wanted to touch on that. I saw a clip that you did where you're talking like you were talking about a breakup and kind of forgiving your enemies and and that that kind of process. And then you mentioned like you can't break your heart. You mentioned those kind of two things. And I don't know where you feel comfortable starting with that or if that's something that you're even open to talking about. But I'm kind of curious about it. Yeah. So I used to say heartbreak was heart opening. But I, I kind of changed my stance on that because you can't break the heart. That's the thing. You can only break down the walls that 
have been in place around the heart to protect you from something. And that protection will have been placed there in childhood based on the language of love that you learn. So I was given a lot of beautiful women in my past that were gentle and nurturing and sweet and kind. But I grew up with a mother that was fairly vicious, you know, in the way that she raised me. And so it was never going to take someone that was sweet, kind and gentle to be able to really break those walls down. The walls were so thick around my heart and so impenetrable that I needed someone that was as powerful with the opposing force to come in and just take to it with a with axe to break me open. And she did through, you know, I almost, I don't want to list the traits because I, you know, I have so much love and a gratitude for this woman because she freed me. She freed me into unconditional love to know what it was like to go from like a codependent state to an independent state to an interdependent state where interdependency is where you see the connection to everything, where they feel guilty to everything and they don't have any enemies. You don't hold grudges. And then you can see the gratitude and the gift because she didn't break my heart. I broke my own heart, but it was what I was breaking was the fear that was around my heart. Fear will break its own heart, but you can't break your own heart. Like as far as I know, the heart's the only organ that doesn't get cancer because that's the center of love. All oh, you can wow. do is protect what's around that. Yeah. It's quite beautiful. And so it's, it's what's around that. And because I grew up, I wasn't allowed to really go into that. And so God sent me a gift in this woman. And when I was healing and going through and discharging the energy from my body, from around my heart, I got through a message that said, was from God that said, I sent you an angel disguised as a demon so you could discover what unconditional love is. And as soon as I finished that session, I sat on the couch and I wish nothing but the most beautiful, amazing love for her that someone comes along and loves her in every way that she needs so she can have the experience that I did. And that's that's kind of my take on heartbreak. It was such a profound, the most profound experience I've had in my life. And I've had a lot. And this, including a near-death experience. And this was this was the one. So wow. it's never about breaking your heart. You can only break the walls that are around your heart. And that's my experience of it. And that's landed true through experience, unconditional love. And that's just ever present for me now. That is, that's such a powerful experience that you had. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's, I think that's a really interesting reframe on heartbreak. I've never heard somebody like say something like that, but it's definitely making me think about it for sure. You know, obviously you're a very like spiritual person. You're like in tune with, with God. It sounds like you're a praying person and you know, I am as well. Um, I heard you say something that really rang true for me too. And maybe we can kind of end with something like this, but you, you talked about, I think I don't, I heard you talk about praying for your enemies and I want to know yeah. kind of like, why did you do that? And what kind of like, was that difficult for you to do? Was that a decision? Like what kind of led you to that point where you had to do that? It was extremely difficult because of the resentment and the anger that I felt towards people that had betrayed me, hurt me, gone behind my back, done all of that stuff. But I thought if I can find it in my heart to pray for them, praying for the people I love is easy. But what that developed in me was a language of connection where I'm like, I want this person to find God so they don't do that to other people, so they don't hurt other people, so they don't have to go down that path where they feel they need to be manipulative or sly or go behind someone's back or betray someone because they're okay in their authentic expression. And so I had a near-death experience 15 months ago. I woke up. My health got really bad. 
um, from my situation in my life where a lot had gone on and the amount of pressure that my body was under, my heart was suffering, my brain was suffering, my blood was like way too thick and it was just creating a host of problems. And I woke up seizuring in the middle of the night and I felt like my body was being like Velcro, like being pulled apart. And so when I was, this was the first time I really moved into prayer and I started to pray to God to take me home. I said, if this is it, just take me home. I'm ready to go. And everything went white. And then Jesus appeared to me. Now he didn't say anything. It was just absolute peace. And then I was back in my body. It was like a, like a boom. And then I was back in my body and I was kept shaking and whatever. And nothing really happened after that overly profound, except I felt and a little while after that, the presence of God, I just, I was kind of against the word God for a while. I wasn't really, I didn't really have a relationship with it. And then this started to get me into prayer more and more. And I started to pray and it was like, prayer is quite beautiful because you get to speak the truth of what's in your heart at the time, not to necessarily get some response from some man in the sky or however it's depicted in some of the ancient cultures and scriptures but it's more of like a relationship that you get to develop within yourself through the connection to something higher, something more, not more, but something that's perfect. That's what I experienced in this field of white light. And what I started to do was the people that had betrayed me or hurt me or wounded me, I started to say, I hope they can have a connection like this because I felt the presence of God. I know what that feels like. And I want others to feel that because if you can pray for your enemies, then you don't have enemies. Then there's no division anymore. There's interconnectedness. There's no more separation. Separation is the root cause of every issue in our society. It's the idea that we're separate and separation drives defense through the maintenance of the identity that I've created in order to maintain separation. And so when I started to pray for my enemies, what I saw was not the differences, but the commonalities. And this is where I talk about love and hate. Love and hate have the same motivation. People think that I'm a bit nuts when I start talking about this because love and hate both seek to unify. And people get a bit funny here. I'm like, they both seek to unify. How? Because love says, I see the commonalities in you and I want to be close to you because we're similar so we can unify. Hate says, I see the differences in you and I want you to be the same as me so we can unify. Mm. That's why religious wars have happened. You look at people converting to different religions that were enemies. That's, and then that's an interesting way to look at it. That's a very interesting way to look at it. I can see that. Yeah. Cause it's saying I need you to align with me. So I'm okay. Yeah. And so it's, I want you to love me and I want to love you, but we're different and I can't cross that bridge yet until we're the same. So then we're in love, but hate's just the opposite expression of that. And so what I started to do to is to work on the resentment towards these people and pray for them. And then I realized they weren't my enemies, that they were my friends and they were actually teachers. And so then I saw the lesson in it and that was the gift in it. And that kept going through because I came from a relationship where this woman was very abusive, but very subtly abusive to me. But that was the necessary force that I needed to crack down all the things that weren't me, that I was hiding within myself and the barrier around my own heart to crack me wide open into that being the greatest gift I've ever received. You know, I do. I, I thank you for sharing that. That was an incredible story, like a near death experience. And, um, I would have been terrified. I would have been terrified, but it seems like it really got you to a place where you had just this kind of like knowledge and, and it really kind of took you to the next level, like on your journey and on your faith walk and was able to be actually very healing for you spiritually. And, 
Are you physically okay now? Like, are you doing okay now? Better than ever. Okay. Better than ever. Good. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. That 15 months ago isn't that long, you know? Yeah. And I was put into it, you know, I was getting brain zaps and my blood was so thick. It wasn't getting to my brain and my heart was enlarged and I had tremors and then seizures at night. I didn't sleep for five months. I had insomnia. Oh my God. Like, I've had, I, was I had, it. I had brain zaps before for a period of time. And I, that is like next level. Like I couldn't imagine. Yeah. It's I, I try to describe it to people and they just don't understand, you know, it's like your brain actually getting shocked, you know? Yeah. And during that time, what pushed me further is my father died. Godfather died. Another friend died. ACL tear, meniscus tear, back injury. And I was still showing up to sessions and doing my work and all of that. But it was just the life was being drained out of me. You know, if you look at videos from me from 14, 15 months ago, compared to the one I posted yesterday and this one, I'm a different person. Mm -hmm. And so the vitality has come back. The life has come back. And so I had to be pushed through because I teach men develop resilience and capacity as a man. Be careful what you ask for and what you teach. I was just gonna I was, I was just gonna ask you, like I think sometimes like what you ask for, God will give you, but usually you, there's a lesson to be learned. And I think the very things like I think at least in my own life, I know the things that I have authority and power over are the things that I have personally had to overcome. The only reason I have authority in those fields is because I went through it, lived it, overcame it. You know? Yeah. And so I think that those trials are there to prepare you. Um and you know, you know, you don't get strong by sitting on the couch, you know? Exactly. So it's exactly. it's just like usually there's a trial and a test that comes along with whatever the greatness is, whatever the calling is, whatever your purpose is. Um, I think, you know, I think forgiving enemies, I don't know how we kind of got here, but I like it. Um, but I think forgiving enemies is, is incredibly important because it releases your attachment to it. It releases like it. When you don't do that, there's a bondage and an energetic attachment that's maintained with that person, and it keeps it alive. And I think that long term can poison your body. You know, I think that it can poison your mind and keep you keep blessings from entering your life. You know, there was one scripture in the Bible that always stuck out with me. It said, if you don't forgive your enemies, I won't even hear your prayers. And I was like, oh, I don't want that to be me. You know, I don't want that to be me. Um, Forgiveness so is an interesting one just while we're on it. Because the word is forgiving, it's forgiving love to that person, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I realized is when you forgive your enemies, you'll realize that there's nothing to forgive at all. There never was because they served a very valuable purpose. And in that and through the difficult things, most people, I sat with a friend after I'd released this and he said, mate, you know what you went through, most people would never heal from in their entire life. And so I was given this beautiful gift in the form of uh, this former partner that took me to, to death. It took me to the absolute line so I could come back to help people see that these people that have hurt you, if you see it, like God said to me, I sent you an angel disguised as a demon so you could have this experience. If you can get to that point, you know what unconditional love is. And that's the greatest gift that you'll ever get. Yeah. I don't think I'm there yet, but I'm, you know, you're, I'm inspired. <laughs> yeah. I never thought I'd get there either, but my, it's funny. My mate was asking me this morning, he goes, unconditional love of what? To self, to others, to whatever. And I said, those are redundant questions because when you're in that space, that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, definitely, I think when it, when it comes to something like that, it's, it's an evolution for people and hopefully people can get to a place where they're at peace with anybody that's hurt them because I think it's an important part of their healing um, and their own journey. Um, yeah. 
unfortunately, we are going to have to close here today. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I feel like there was so much more that I could have talked to you about, but we only have a small window of time. But thank you for showing up today, for taking the time to share your story, to speak with me all the way from Australia. I really appreciate it. I know you're like a day ahead. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell people what you're up to and where they can find you? Sure. Pure Jaguar um, on Instagram, jaguarheart.co, um, my website. That's really it at the moment. I'm working on teaching my methods to people to help people become coaches so they can liberate people from suffering as well. Um, and that's kind of just what I'm up to at the moment. Um, I don't have any big groups or anything planned, maybe later in the year, but follow me and you'll you'll find out. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here, guys. Until next time, pop the pink pill. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thank